Jesus put to his disciples, they had retired, tried to. And in this retirement up in Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee, he first put the question to his disciples, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he turned the question around, but who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter was the first to answer. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus didn't ask these questions to gain some knowledge that he didn't have. A number of times we read in the Bible where he or God asks a question of someone, they know the answers, but it was for the benefit of those whom he was asking and for those of us who are studying the questions and the answers that were given. John tells us in John 2 and 25 that he needed not that any man should bear witness concerning man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus had now served his public ministry about 80%, 20% left, nine months until the cross of Calvary. And during that time, what an impression had he made upon the population? Who did they think he was? And we know that he equates the Son of Man with himself because he asked first, who do men say the Son of Man? Who do ye say that I am? Just as the sun is the center of our solar system, so the Son of God is the center of all Christian thought. Our attitude toward God, toward His Word, toward the church, toward obedience, is determined by our attitude toward Him. Jesus, what think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? <clears throat> so let's look at their answers. They said, well, some think John the Baptist. Now, if Jesus is to be compared with a human being, because we know Jesus is deity himself, fully God, fully man, but if he's to be compared with man, John the Baptist is a good one to be compared with. John was a great man. But who would think and get mixed up with Jesus and John? Who would think that Jesus was John or John was Jesus and so forth? Surely the disciples of John knew the difference. And the disciples of Jesus knew the difference. But there were a lot of people out there that were not disciples or at least close disciples. And they didn't quite know. I'll tell you somebody who thought they were that John was Jesus, or Jesus was John. That was Herod, Herod Antipas. You remember Herod had John put in prison. Herodias, his wife, insisted upon it. But finally, when he was having this big birthday party and his stepdaughter, we'll call her, danced and he made a promise to her whatever she wanted, he'd give it to her. Herodias suggested... Well, I'm sure she commanded, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And Herod couldn't back out of that promise, and so he was beheaded. 
when Herod learned about what all Jesus was doing and about the miracles that were being performed, he thought this was John who had come back to life. And because he had been dead and had now come back to life, he had with him supernatural powers. The powers that Jesus was manifesting in all the signs that he performed. So that's how Herod had the idea. Well, this is just John the Baptist come back to life. Of course, that was not right. Jesus, as we said, if he was to be compared with him, the human being, would have been honored to have been compared with John. He makes these statements about John, showing how much he thought of him. He said, what went, ye, what, uh, <clears throat> what went ye out into the wilderness to behold? A reed shaken with the wind. That is someone who vacillates with public opinion. The wind blows this way, the, the reeds will bend that way and so forth. Did you expect John to be like that? Whatever he heard the public proclaiming, that's what he would preach? No, that's not John. But what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? He said, those who live in king's houses, they're the ones who, who uh, have soft raiment. He's talking about people who may be rich, effeminate, feeble character, not John. What went ye out to see? To see a prophet? Yea, Jesus said, and much more than a prophet. And then he quotes from Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare the way before thee. More than a prophet. And then he says, Among them that are born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. You can take your minds all the way back to the beginning of Adam and Eve and trace it back to him. There's not been a greater person than John the Baptist. And there were those who thought Jesus was John. But there were others who thought that he was Elijah. Now Elijah was also a prophet, as John had been. And the Jews expected Elijah to come back someday. He never died. Maybe that was one of, well, that wasn't the reason. <laughs> when we turn over to, to uh, Malachi, just the very last part of the Old Testament. Chapter 4, let me read verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> this is God's promise speaking to his prophet Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of Jehovah come. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. God said, Elijah's coming back to the earth. And so they were looking for him. I saw this on television too. And, and maybe you have. That the Jews all expect Elijah to come back. Didn't he say so in Malachi? And so when they have this particular <clears throat> Jewish feast, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody has a place setting and there's an extra one. There's a cup there. And the door's left open. They're expecting Elijah. And they want to be prepared in, in case he should come to that feast. To their home. Well, the Lord said, Malachi, 
said that Elijah's coming again. <clears throat> and so some of them were thinking, well, he's come. Jesus uh, acknowledged that. When we turn over to Luke 1, 17 first, you remember the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, said you and Elizabeth, your wife, are going to have a son? Well, in Luke 1, 17, he tells us what that son's going to do when he grows up. And notice the words and see if they do not sound just like the ones I read in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And he shall go before his face in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to walk in the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. Well, let me read another statement by the Lord. <clears throat> in Matthew eleven fourteen. And we just quoted a few verses just before that. And if you're willing to receive it, this is Elijah that is to come. Talking all about John, he says, this John is that Elijah that is to come. You turn over to John, I mean, still in Matthew. Matthew 17, let me read 10 through 13. Jesus talking still. Again. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And he answered and he said, Elijah indeed cometh, and shall restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but did unto him whatsoever they would. Even so shall the Son of Man also suffer of them. Then understood the disciples that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Jesus said that when John came, he came in the spirit and in the power of John. This is he who was to come. And so again, if someone, Jesus has to be compared with some human being, then like John the Baptist, Elijah would be a great one to have that comparison made with. Elijah was to come. Jesus said he came. That fulfilled that prophecy. But it was coming in the spirit and power that John manifested. Christ was like Elijah. Fearless. Had an unconquerable spirit that reminded them of Elijah. God told Elijah, go to King Ahab. Tell him that it's not going to rain, there's not going to be any dew, any moisture, until you hear it from my lips. And so, time went by. One year, two years, three years. Ahab was getting pretty upset. He had men out looking for Elijah. He's going to force him to say the word. Couldn't find him. Finally, the Lord said, after three and a half years, go to Ahab. And he did. He said, King Ahab, I want you to bring all of your prophets of Baal and the Astaroth up on Mount Carmel. We're going to have a duel. And so they met up there. Elijah gave these prophets of Baal, the false prophets, of course, first choice. They built an altar, gave them uh, 
the animal to offer on it, and they cried out, they cut themselves, and they screamed, and they danced, and they did everything. Elijah was standing back making fun of them. Finally, he said, time's up. You've had enough time. It's my time now. So they backed off. He had water poured on the altar where the animal was, and then a simple prayer to God, and God sent fire down and consumed it. Now, before the contest began, Elijah said to all the people who had gathered there, he said, now how long go you limping between the two sides? If Jehovah is God, serve him. If Baal, then serve him. People didn't say a word. But after they saw what happened, the people all cried out, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. Elijah stood there all alone. It's sort of a one-man contest against all the rest of the people until he, they saw God was on his side. And then, I'm sure with their help, all of these false prophets were put to death. Here was a man with a great spirit, indomitable. And when they saw Jesus manifested that same spirit, then they thought, well, perhaps this is just Elijah. One spirit-filled man may change the destiny of a nation. Jesus changed not just the destiny of one nation, but of the world. But there are others who think that you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the great prophets. And the Jews expected Jeremiah to come back as well. They thought that uh, he was going to come back with the ark. The ark of the covenant. When Nebuchadnezzar came with his uh, Chaldeans... They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. He carried off the vessels of gold and the vessels of silver back to Babylon. But we never read what happened to the ark. The only person who's ever found the ark was Harrison Ford, and then he lost it. But they think, the Jews, that Jeremiah is going to come back with that ark. Well, perhaps this is that Jeremiah that they thought Jesus was coming back. Notice the similarities. They lived under similar world conditions. We mentioned Nebuchadnezzar, head of the Babylonians. And here was Caesar's, head of the Roman Empire, world empires. Both were rejected, Jeremiah and Jesus, by their home community and by their own family. Jeremiah wasn't welcome when he went back to Anathroth where he lived. He was a priest as well as a prophet. And Jesus, you remember, until his resurrection, was rejected even by his own brothers. Neither married. Because of their celibate life, they missed the joys and the blessings that would have been a great force for them during their days of opposition. And both condemned blind leaders, the false prophets, the priests that were not ruling as they ought. You remember Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31 that a, a wonderful and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear ruled by their own hand, that is, by their own authority or that of the false prophets. And notice, then he adds, and my people love to have it so. God said, my people love these false prophets and these false priest and Jeremiah stood up and condemned him and Jesus did as well you remember in Matthew 15 and 14 he said 
Leave them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both shall fall into the pit. Your version may say ditch, which is their condemnation. Both Jeremiah and Jesus had tender hearts. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. His book, Lamentations, where he laments the fall of Jerusalem because of the sins of his people. And Jesus, on different occasions, wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that stoneth the prophets, killeth them that are sent unto her. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you would not. You would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Both tender hearts spent some time weeping over the sinning people. End of each life, Jeremiah's and Jesus was considered a failure. <clears throat> when most of the people were carried off into Babylonian as slaves, Jeremiah was allowed to remain if he wished. He could go if he wanted. He decided he'd remain with the few that were still there. And then Ishmael with his partners, we'll call them, rose up and slew the governor that was left. And what could Jeremiah do but to go off as a slave with them into Egypt? Didn't want to go. Jeremiah had to go and he died like a slave in Egypt. And Jesus, what did they see at the end of his life? Well, even his disciples thought it was a failure. Why carry on? Why go on? What about all of these promises of the, the Messiah that's going to reign? And there he is nailed to a cross. Well, their tune, of course, changed after his resurrection. But at the end, when he died, it looked different to them. Or maybe, maybe he's one of the prophets, they thought. You notice each time he's compared with a prophet. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. At this point, at least their opinion, that didn't elevate him to be the Messiah. But there were different times when they thought he must be that uh, Messiah. But really, I don't know when that was. We're thinking about the time when he fed the 5,000 men plus the women and children, John 6, 14. And we read there that the people said when they saw this sign that this must be of a truth, that prophet that is to come into the world. Talking about the prophet in Deuteronomy 18, 15, that Moses said would come like unto himself, and they were to hearken in everything that he said, but that still was just another prophet. I don't know if the Lord likes for us to have heroes. You know, we think about different Bible characters, and we think that was a great person. I, well, he's my hero. I mean, I wish I could live that good or be that kind of person or whatever. Well, if he doesn't mind, I believe of all of the good characters, I would pick any prophet. True prophet, of course, not the false ones. How often did, Jesus, did God refer to these prophets as my servants, the prophets? They were outstanding, God-fearing men who did God's will. My servants, the prophets. 
Jesus, of course, spoke of himself as a prophet. He was a prophet, prophet, priest, and king later. Well, <clears throat> we're going to move on. <clears throat> Let me just mention some of the marks of a prophet. Uncompromising individualist. You think about Jeremiah, that's the kind of man he was. Elijah, that's the kind of man. John, and you just go down the list of his servants, the prophets. Uncompromising individualist. Generally, he was a man of action. There was a certain ruggedness of body and character that commanded attention in any gathering. Intense, keyed up to a high pitch, people were apt to follow him, or at least listen, whether they wanted to follow or not. Generally, they stood alone, clean and consecrated in life and character. No criticism was found of their moral life. And they were outspoken critics of the evils in the social order. But wasn't Jesus the same? Maybe he's one of the prophets. Pilate, Governor Pilate, had his attitude. You remember after he took him inside and examined him, he came back out to the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes who had delivered Jesus up to be crucified. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. That was his estimate, though he was a weak man, gave in later to politics, had him crucified. Think about another more modern estimate of Jesus. H.G. Wells, a well-known writer and historian of England. He's written a history of the, you know, from the beginning all the way down. He's listed 12 men that he thinks were the greatest men who ever lived. And at the top of the list of these 12 is Jesus. But in H.G. Wells' opinion, he was only a man. The greatest, but still just a man. And you can't expect more than that because Wells was a humanist and an evolutionist. And so they don't accept Jesus and his deity. But let me just turn the question around now. Jesus did to his disciples, but who say ye that I am? And we've already quoted Peter's answer, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And later on in John 6, after Jesus was teaching with many, there were many of his disciples, that's what they're called, who turned and walked no longer with him. Jesus had been teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and they took it literally. Rather than to understand that they were to absorb Jesus into their life, he was to be the center, he used to be the controlling factor and power they didn't understand that. They just turned and went away. Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, Now, will ye also go away? Simon Peter again stood up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we have believed and know that thou art the Holy One of God. That was Peter's idea of Jesus. His estimate. What about Paul? He said, referring to Jesus Christ, in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Also look at 2 Timothy 1 and 12. Paul had mentioned that he had been appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And then he said, I have to suffer because of that. Verse 12, for which cause I suffer also these things, yet I'm not ashamed. 
For I know him whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep or to guard that which I have committed unto him against that day. And the day is the day of the resurrection, the day of judgment, the last day. What did Paul committed unto him? His whole being, his life, his body, his immortal soul, because he was persuaded that he could keep that for him. But who say ye that Jesus is? Our estimate is obvious by the way we live. Remember taking a religious, well, we called a survey, religious census. We were going from door to door in England. And there was one lady that we were asking questions, and she said that every time she looked upon the picture of Jesus on the cross, it brought tears to her eyes. But it didn't do anything to her. Change her life. James said, James 2.17, Even so faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. It may bring forth acclamation of praise, tears to our eyes, but if it doesn't change our life, then that manifests that Jesus doesn't mean too much to us. Say all we want, but what do we do? That's the question. Can I not know what you do by the way you live and vice versa? There are times when we're coming, for example, to Bible class, coming to worship service, going home afterwards and you pass a lot of neighbors out, maybe cutting the grass. Cars are there. They're at home. What are they doing? Well, I don't know, but whatever they're doing is being done there. And they're not worshiping God anywhere. What think ye of the Christ? Who is he? Is he just another person? Maybe even a good person. Maybe he brings tears to your eyes, but what does he mean to you? What does he mean to us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? What does he mean to us when we have a Bible and we don't study it? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We have it revealed to us, and we are negligent about studying it and learning more about us, being lifted up, our faith being made stronger. What think ye of the Christ? By the way you give. Well, we can't see how you give. God knows how you give. Jesus is watching. He was in the temple when the widow came and gave all of her living. And he pointed that out to his disciples. You see that woman over there? Two mites. But that's all she has. She gave it all. There were other people there, rich people giving a lot abundantly, but they were giving out of their superabundance. She gave all she had. What did she think about God? What do you and I think about God? But the way we live, how we obey his testament, his will. There was a son, <clears throat> the only heir, his father died, left a will. Son was reading over the will, and the father had made four suggestions. 
He said it'd be well if you put a fence around a certain area of this state. You, you dig another water well. That you put another shed next to the barn. And you gravel the road out in front of the house. Well, the son studied over those suggestions from his father that were in his will. He thought about them. He thought, that'd be great. We need that fence. We'll do it. We need that shed. We'll do it. He looked at each of those first three provisions. The water well, the shed, the fence. He said, that's great. We'll do it. But the gravel on the road, we don't really need that. We won't do that. Now the question is, did he do his father's will? That's what the will specified. You say, well, he did three out of four, 75%. No, the son did not do the father's will one bit. He would have done all four of them if he liked them. He only liked three of them, so he did his own will. And that's what we and I, you and I, need to think about when we read the Bible. Well, I like that, but I don't like that. I can do that, but uh, let's forget about that. Is it God's will we're doing, or is it my will? Even though I might want to do most of it, but I don't want to do all of it, it's still my will. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we have his will. Do you believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God? That he offered himself up on the cross willingly as a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins, yours and mine? Do you truly believe that Jesus has all authority as he claims? And that you need to surrender to that authority. You need to obey the gospel. What think ye of the Christ? We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you've not confessed your faith in Jesus, repented of all your sins, been buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins, this is a good opportunity. And we would encourage you to come forward and do that as together we stand and sing.